0: You are listening to Bringing Grace to the Nation's podcast, where we talk about your theological questions. BGN Podcast is produced every Saturday for your enjoyment. Get more information on our website, grace-nation.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at GraceNationMin and on Facebook. Now, here is your host, President of Grace Nation Ministries, Victor
1: Hello guys, and welcome back to the Bringing Grace to the Nations podcast. I am your host, Victor, and I'm so delighted to be able to bring you this podcast this week. It was actually a really close call, and I personally didn't think we would be able to bring you a podcast this week, just with all the hurricane scares and with everything going on. It was quite a scare, and so I'm so blessed that God just gave me and the ministry the opportunity to be able to bring episode three of Bringing Grace to the Nation's podcast to you guys. It's such a blessing. Before we get started discussing such an interesting topic today, I just want to go ahead and remind everyone to please go subscribe to our podcast on YouTube. We were able to hit number six in the religions category on iTunes, and that's so big. We we were above people like Joel Osteen, uh, Joyce Myers. Andy Stanley, Bible Project, and some other big name podcasts. And so it was such a blessing to see God using the podcast in such an amazing way. And we are so blessed. So I just want to encourage everyone right now, if you haven't subscribed to our podcast or if you haven't left a review, please go do that. And that would be such a huge help to the ministry. And you would really be supporting us in our endeavors that way. Also, we are also asking for financial support for the podcast as it does cost a monthly bill for us to be able to produce this podcast. So if you guys are just feeling called to to give financially, there are many ways you can do that. Uh, just head over to the donate tab on grace-nation.com and it will give you all the, the needed information that you will need. And it also comes with some cool perks and some just cool kind of extras, just us saying thank you for just financially supporting the ministry. So, today we are diving into a topic that I am extremely excited about. This topic is probably one of the ones that I've been looking forward to a lot, uh, and so I'm glad the day's here. We are going to be discussing Reformation, Reformed theology, and I was able to bring in such a good friend of mine. Billy, he'll be our co-host today. Just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, where you're from.
2: Okay, awesome. Thank you so much, Victor, for having me on the show. Uh, For you all listening, Victor is one of my great friends from Trinity College. We're roommates at the apartment. Uh, We have a lot of fun together, a lot of great times. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I really appreciate him. I really appreciate your ministry and what you're doing and how God is using you to reach people. I'm really thankful to be on the show um, it's a, I'm super humbled and excited to be on it. We're thankful to have you. Thanks for making the drive. Thank you so much. Appreciate yeah, it. I'm well. I'm a student at uh, Trinity College. Uh, I used to go to Word of Light Bible Institute. Um, I've been teaching the Bible for about three years in student ministry to kids, and I'm currently serving as a youth pastor of a small Presbyterian church, uh, Trinity Presbyterian, in the heart of North Tampa. Wow. Uh, teaching teaching students uh, ages ten to eighteen uh, the Bible and theology, and so it's just a super huge blessing, and um, I'm really excited. Excited to be diving into such a deep and beautiful topic with you.
1: That, yeah, what a ministry that you do in, in North Tampa too. That's, Thank you. That's that's amazing, and we're we're thankful for you to be here, and we're thankful for your ministry that, that you do in Tampa. So let's dive in. Awesome. Reformed theology. <laughs> yeah. When 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 just the average Christian hears reformed theology, it might not stick with them the way people who study theology for a living. Yeah it might stay explain it. Tell us what it's about. Yeah, yeah. You know, give us the broad overview before we start dissecting it piece by piece.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I think um it's really important to say beforehand, um, as a prerequisite that Studying theology is is uh, foundational um, to our worship. Mm-hmm. It is it is you know we are called to worship God in spirit and in truth. Yes. And so studying theology is to dive into theology is to dive into the very person of God Himself. Mm-hmm. It is to worship God. Absolutely. Like it, it
1: is our it is one of the deepest forms of worship. Yeah, that
2: there is. To say you're a Christian, to say that Jesus is God, to say that salvation is by grace through faith alone, these are all theological statements. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to talk about God apart from theology. Yes. And so if you're a deep thinker, if you are a student of the scriptures, and if you want to go deeper, then this issue, this, this topic is inevitably going to come up.
1: Yes, sir. Like, absolutely. There is no doubt about it. This is, and a lot of the things we'll be talking about are things that a lot of Christians think about in their walk, whether yeah. whether they understand what reformed theology is or not, yeah. the things that we're gonna discuss are things every Christian thinks about. Yeah. And sometimes they pose problems with a lot of Christians. Yeah. And so that's kind of our job. Like we we are going to try and help you dissect the scriptures and allow mm-hmm. the spirit to move in your guys' life to help Absolutely. you interpret scripture the right way absolutely and so that's what our conviction is
2: yes um our purpose here is just to to simply implore the listener to study the scriptures for themselves. Absolutely. I mean, whether you're uh, I mean, whether you're listening and maybe you you don't know Jesus and you're curious about this whole Christianity thing. You know, I was there. I used to be a Buddhist and an atheist, and so uh, for the longest time I did not study the scriptures. And so when people brought up issues like this to me, it was kind of annoying uh, seeing things that maybe Christians didn't necessarily agree on. Um, but it's it's an important thing to discuss, right? Um, because of the nature of the um, the nature of the topic. Um, Absolutely. And and I think. Um, there's unity in it. Theology is sanctifying. Uh, the purpose of theology is to stir your affections for the Lord and embolden you in evangelism. Um, if your theology does not cause you to love God and love people more, then it's not good theology. It's mm-hmm. bad theology, no matter what you believe. Right. And so um, we want more than anything uh, to stir the um, your affections for the Lord, for those listening, uh, to implore you to read the scriptures for yourself um, as you go through this tedious process of studying Reformed theology for yourself. Um but ultimately, we just want you to love the Lord more. And so broadly speaking, you know, what's the definition of Reformed theology? I would say, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about it lately, simply because it's the 500 year anniversary right. of the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century, mm-hmm. you know, the nailing of Martin Luther's five yeah. thesis on the Catholic Church. So big event um, in churches around the world right now they are talking about this. We... So we want to kind of dissect what is it that we're speaking of, because a lot of the lay person might not understand what is Reformed theology. Right. Um,
1: there's a lot of misconceptions about it. Right. There's a lot of negative connotations about yeah. Reformed people. A Absolutely. Lot of, a lot of they're prideful, a lot of, you know, they're condemning, they're, a lot not, of they're not loving, they yeah. don't evangelize. There's so many misconceptions out there. Yeah. And although our purpose here isn't to disprove those mis- misconceptions, when we're describing what Reformed theology is, I think that will disprove them in itself, because that's yes. not what true Reformed theology is.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the purpose of Reformed theology... Um, I would define Reformed theology like this. It's any system of belief that traces its root back to the Protestant Reformation. Um, but one of the credos of the, uh, the Reformers was... Sola Scriptura.
1: Right, which means like the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture, only Scripture. Exactly. And ironically enough, I'm actually working on a book that is entitled Sola Scriptura. Wow. And I haven't announced it yet, so this is the first time that it's actually being announced. It's <laughs> in its editing stages now. All right. It's such an interesting doctrine. Yeah. Um, and I'm currently reading a book oh, I've already read it I'm using it to, to aid me in the process of writing the book it's called Reclaiming the Sufficiency of Scripture yeah. by Rob Renow and this is what he says and it's really interesting I won't read it all but I'll read a portion of it Okay. during the reformations believers in Jesus Christ staked their families their fortunes, their reputations and their very lives on the five solas which means the five onlys These are the words that many died for, and many are still dying for. Sola Scriptura, only scripture. The Bible and the Bible alone is our authority in all matters Mm. of faith and life. Mm. So only grace. We don't deserve salvation and forgiveness. We are saved by the unearned loving grace of God. Only faith. We do not earn points with God through doing good things. We cannot earn his favor or salvation by being virtuous. We cannot lose salvation by being bad. And we are forgiven and made right when we respond to God's grace with Hmm. repentance and faith. Hmm. Only Christ. God has made one and only one way for sinful men and women to be forgiven and saved. And that is through Jesus' death, resurrection, and glorious ascension. Only for the glory of God. This is the purpose of life. The purpose of working, eating, marrying, coming to church, planting in your garden, reading your Bible, and volunteering. It is all for the glory of God. Mm. And and then we go on and it says, The Protestant Reformation was centered on, grounded in, and built upon the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture, because if you look at the other four solas—the other four—only grace, only faith, only glory of God, only Christ—those are built upon only Scripture. That's our foundation, yeah. right? It's our foundation, Absolutely. and so that's what we're going to be talking about. Why, Absolutely, that's the, our foundation. Yes, how do we utilize that foundation?
2: Yeah, and so like normally, the majority of people when they talk about Reformed theology today we have to understand we have to come to an understanding that it's not necessarily a new system it's simply a system that's trying to continue apostolic doctrine um, right we are we're pursuing a mindset that the reformers had and that's simply only scripture the sufficiency of the bible right. and so when when we come to this now though today when people talk about reformed theology usually you more than often what they're talking about is the doctrines of grace you know calvinism right the that, five points yes which is
1: very controversial um, yes, and I believe very good. It's a it's uh, a good thing. I I, I do. Th- it's good for them to be controversial because that means people are studying them. Absolutely. And, and but it's also good because I also think they're right. Um, <laughs> yeah. But we're, yeah. we're in the same boat. And <laughs> I would say that's ninety percent of what reform theology is today. Yes. Is Calvinism. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you can almost use the words interchangeably. Yes. And so when we say reform theology. We're saying Calvinism, doctrines Mm -hmm. of grace. We're talking about the five points. Yes. And within Calvinism, there are five points that make up Calvinism. Yes. And it's put into the acronym of TULIP. Yes. And each letter stands for something else. Yes. And so today our goal is we're going to dive into each one of those, and we're just going to discuss it and talk about what it means, talk about its biblical backing and why the Bible supports yeah. the doctrine of grace. Not why the doctrine of grace supports the Bible, but yes. why the Bible supports and defends the doctrines of grace. It's exactly. huge because yeah. We derive the doctrines of grace from Scripture.
2: Yes, we, we want, we, more than anything, I don't want believers to come to the Scriptures with lens, theological lens, to try and interpret the Bible. I think it should be opposite. I think the Bible should be our lens by which we interpret our theology. Exactly. And, and I want that for people here. Exactly. And that's a huge yeah.
1: thing that people do. Like, people will get in their mind, well, I'm Calvin. I'm Calvinist. <laughs> now I have to read Scripture because. In that and interpret said, yeah. it because I'm Calvinist. Yes. No. Which is false. We should false. be reading scripture and allowing scripture to conform our theology to what scripture says. Absolutely. And if that's what happened, if that's how Calvinism, yeah. Tulip was produced, glory be to God. Yes. So let's start. We want to dive in. T. Tulip, T. T. What is it? Total depravity. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to read a short definition of total depravity. It's, the book I'll be reading from is called The Five Points of Calvinism, Defined, Defended, and Documented. It's a great book. There's three authors. I'll post the book in the show notes for you guys in case you, you'd like to resource it. But here is how they describe or define the point of total depravity. Because of the fall, man is unable of himself to savingly believe the gospel. The sinner is dead, blind, and deaf to the things of God. His heart is deceitful and desperately corrupt. His will is not free. It is in bondage to to his evil nature. Hmm. Therefore, he will not, indeed, he cannot choose good over evil in the spiritual realm. Hmm. Consequently, it takes much more than the Spirit's assistance to bring a sinner to Christ. It takes regeneration by which the Spirit makes the sinner alive and gives him a new nature. Mm. Faith is not something man contributes to salvation, but it but is itself a part of God's gift of salvation. Mm. It is God's gift to the sinner, not the sinner's gift to God. Absolutely. Amen. That's a really good definition. <laughs> Tell us about it. What, yes. For you, total depravity. Yes. Give us maybe a simpler definition. Give us some biblical resources, maybe some examples. Okay. Just kind of give us your thoughts on total depravity. Okay,
2: so when we're talking about total depravity, I think that the book did a fantastic job with the definition. Um, I think that a really good way to view it is that man in his natural fallen state, just like it said, we're dead in our sins. Scripture makes that very clear. Um, Because of that, we don't contribute anything to our own salvation but our sin. Right. And that's important to note. We do not contribute anything. We can't bring anything to the table. So in our natural fallen state, we do not have the capacity in ourselves to produce and initiate a response to God. Right. We naturally, and the
1: scriptures testify to this all throughout the Bible. Right. So let's hear some examples. Because that's easy for us to say, and it mm-hmm. sounds good when we say it. Yeah. But unless the Bible shows us that this is true, mm-hmm. we can't claim it as doctrine. We can't claim yeah. it as true. So give us some examples. Okay, I think the main
2: passage that talks about total depravity is Romans chapter 3, um, where it says that none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Uh, and so what it's talking about, essentially, is that man in his sinful, fallen, rebellious state is trapped in this spiral, this cycle of sin. We are, we are enslaved to our depraved state and our depraved mind. And because of that, we naturally hate God. In Adam, we've all taken part in his rebellion. And because of that, we are trapped in this spiral of sin, um, running from God, choosing to define good and evil for themselves just as Adam and Eve seized autonomy and chose to define good and evil for themselves we do the same thing now Um, we took part in that rebellion in Adam and so because of that we're trapped in this in this state and so I think it's important when we approach the doctrine of total depravity is to talk about because the book mentioned it but the idea and the concept of free will right because it's very controversial yeah it is absolutely how do you define that and
1: what is free will what role does it play you know it's, it's a tough question for a lot of people to yeah. answer. And I think reformers have a really good answer, a really biblical answer yes. to what is free will? How does it play out? Do we have free will? Yeah. Things like that. Does God make us sin? Yeah, All those answers, I think, are really well defined within the re- re- reformed circle. So yes. give us your thoughts on that. Well, free will.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, we do not have free will. Uh, that's not to say that if by free will you mean that man has the capacity and the ability to make moral decisions that affect the outcome of his life, then yes, I do believe that part of being made in God's image is that we, we do have the capacity to make moral decisions. However, our will is inherently limited by our nature right. and our nature being sinful and um, and rebellious. We do not we, we cannot we cannot like I said produce and initiate ourselves a response to God. Our will is limited by our nature. We cannot muster up faith in ourselves. Right. And the Bible constantly says throughout. The, um, Throughout the whole canon of Scripture, that man is not righteous; that no one does good. Just as we read, no one yeah. seeks God on their own. In our fallen state, if God were, if there was no divine intervention or initiation whatsoever, then every single person uh, would be live in rebellion to God until the day they died.
1: Yeah, our righteousness is like dirty rags. Like the best yeah. we can do Absolutely. is like dirty rags. It just and, makes us more filthy. And I work in the restaurant industry. <laughs> The rags we use are disgusting. Yeah. And dirty rags is worse than that. You know what I mean? Like, we can't do anything. It's only by the grace of God that we can be righteous, not by our own work. Absolutely. Only because of the divine work of Christ. Yeah. And, you know, even in Romans 3, where you were reading, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. Yeah. It's not not for 90% of the world has sinned. (laughs) You know, it's everyone has sinned. No matter what state, no matter your age, no matter what state in life you're in, no matter where you are, no matter if you are consciously sinning or not, for Mm -hmm. all have sinned. And for us to take scripture and then to say, not everyone has sinned, that's (laughs) directly contradicting what the Bible says. Yeah. 100%. It's heresy. So we have to take the Bible for its word because it is our foundation on which we're supposed to stand like it yeah. gives us only scripture sola
2: scriptura yeah. and even arminians like it, it, jacob arminius himself believed in total depravity right he, and that's he affirmed it that's
1: one of the few places where arminians and, and calvinists agree yeah everyone's deprived total yeah. depravity it's not it's not circumstantial everyone yeah. is completely deprived and i think that's a, that's a huge attack on like refer, reformed theology is Total depravity, but they don't understand that the com- polar opposite, Armenian theology, affirms the same doctrine. Absol- or at least a form of it. A form of it.
2: Yeah, and I think it's important to note, like going back to the topic of free will, so generally, you know, to answer the question, no, I do not believe we have free will because our will is limited by our nature. We are trapped and dead in sin. And so because of that, um, we cannot love God without Him first initiating that love in us, without Him, and we'll get into this later, without Him giving us the ability and the inclination to seek Him.
1: Right. That um, regeneration that that talked about has yes, to happen.
2: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Faith itself, the Bible says, is a gift from God. Um, it is a spiritual gift. It is something that He he is the author of our faith, and we'll get into that with election. But I think it's important to note that we get so caught up in the topic of free will, I think mainly because because we like to be our own God. We like to have the decision. We like to have the authority over our own salvation. You know, we're the captain of our soul. We like to think that we are the ones who initiate salvation. It's like we begin the good work when we don't. Biblically speaking, Christ is the one who always begins the work and he finishes the work. And we'll get to that more later. But if I were to say... What is free will, though, biblically speaking? Free will is being in Christ. Uh, in Christ, God has freed us from the penalty of sin, and He's progressively freeing us from the power of sin, right. and hallelujah, one day He's going to free us from the presence of sin. Right. So Absolutely. freedom, the way Bible describes freedom, in Galatians 5 it says, it "Is for freedom that Christ set us free. True freedom, biblically speaking, is loving and obeying God, something which we could not do at once when we were dead in our trespasses that is yeah, free absolutely. to be free and is to be in Christ
1: and even Christians get this wrong all the time because we are free in Christ he has removed the chains that once shackled us down yes from the power of sin but as Christians how often is it that we find ourselves going from the from the open fields from the green grass from from the you know from walking alongside the river mm-hmm. to going back into the dungeon where we once were mm-hmm. and right the chains and chaining yeah. ourselves back up with broken chains and yeah. like we are he's freed us from yeah. that, yeah. but yet we still return to what's normal or, yeah. or what we see yeah. as being normal. And if you're familiar with the analogy of the cave, um, from Pin Pensies, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that, it's a great it's a great analogy. When even when we see the light, almost our Immediate reaction is to turn around and go back to the darkness because that's what we're familiar with. And
2: I think that, that itself just serves as a form of proof of total depravity. Yeah. I mean, Christ, yes, he he has freed us from sin's penalty, um, but the process of sanctification of him progressively making conforming us to his image mm-hmm. and freeing us from the power of sin—that's a process, and so. The fact that we see ourselves tempted to run back to the chains is only proof that our old nature is fighting against the new nature in Christ. Uh, so, because of that, you know, we, even now we see the effects of our depravity. I think the closer that we get to Jesus, the more we realize how far away we actually are. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, to end my rant, you know, I, I don't want free will, I want God's will. Right. Because that is freedom.
1: I, I don't want my will. It's my will is. My will should be God's will. It will destroy you, you if know? it's just your will. And and thank God Romans 8.30 talks about conforming our will to God's will. Yes. And, and as we're being sanctified, yeah. those two should start aligning. Not to say that our sin nature won't every once in a while jerk us off track, because it will. Yeah. We're sinful people. But it's comforting to know that God is sanctifying us to be conformed to the image of By the power of the Spirit, yeah. And here's what Romans, I'll start, Romans eight twenty eight through 30. Most of you are pretty familiar probably with Romans eight twenty eight, And it says, And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew he also predestined mm. to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Mm. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Mm. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Mm. And that's a great transition to our next, right. and next so point. Our yeah. next point in, in the Tulip series. So now we're, we're going to start moving on to you. And that means unconditional election. Mm. What does that mean? I'll go ahead and go back to our book that we're getting our definitions from. Mm-hmm. Here's what it says: unconditional election, God's choice of certain individuals. Now, this will probably be one of the one of the ones people will have more of a problem with. Probably but most hof-
2: the controvert- most controversial. Right, but yeah.
1: hopefully we can explain it in a way that is loving yes. and glorifies God. Absolutely. God's choice of certain individuals for salvation before the foundation of the world rested solely in his own sovereign will. His choice of particular sinners was not based on any foreseen response or obedience on their part, Mm. such as faith, repentance, etc. On the contrary, God gives faith and repentance to each individual whom he selected. These acts are the result of not the cause of God's choice. Election, therefore, was not determined by or conditioned upon any virtuous quality or act foreseen in man. Mm. Those whom God sovereignly elected, he brings through the power of the Spirit to a willing acceptance of Christ. Thus, God's choice of the sinner, not the sinner's choice of Christ, is the ultimate cause of salvation and that is unconditional election. Yes. And and this book also gives the definition for conditional election mm-hmm. conditional election, which is more of the Arminian side. Yes. And later I wanna read that definition because it gives you a nice contrast yeah, on of what course. the polar opposite is. Of and course, then maybe yeah. you'll be able to see why unconditional election seems to be more biblical. But well, let's go ahead and just talk about unconditional election. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, why is it the most controversial?
2: <laughs> I think the reason we find it most controversial is because, uh, like I said before, we like to claim that we initiate our salvation. You know, I chose this. I have decided to follow Jesus. Not saying that that's not true, um, <laughs> but the the question that we're, we're trying to answer is, and the question that most people get hung up on when it comes to Reformed theology is, did I choose God or did God choose me? Mm. And because of that, when we see God as the one choosing, the temptation is to view him as some as some malevolent dictator right. who does his will and imposes it on humans, um, as if we have no free will, but as we discussed before, we, we don't, naturally. Right. Uh, for him to choose even some of us is extremely gracious on his part. Uh, I think it's important to know that when we're coming to this this idea of unconditional election, the temptation that people have is to make God sound unjust or unfair. And to that, I would say, yes and no, he is, he is, he's not unjust. He is just, but he is unfair. If God were fair by our standards and our definition, we'd all be in hell right now.
1: Right. Because we, because we're totally depraved. Absolutely. We all inherently deserve to spend eternity in hell. Absolutely. Because of our total depravity, because all, all have sinned. Yes. And fallen short of the glory of God. Yes. Yes.
2: So people aren't neutral. People aren't neutral and there's like heaven on one side and hell on another. Right. We are all naturally already predisposed to hell. Right. And so, because of that, for God to even take a few of us out, let's just say, let's just say, hypothetically, that unconditional election is true. If God were to pull some of us out, that is extremely gracious on His part mm-hmm. to even take a few of us when right. none of us deserve it.
1: And He didn't have to. Absolutely. But now let's talk about why He does. <laughs> the motivation. Right. Because I think I, God does everything for one purpose. Yes. And I truly believe that 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 purpose is to glorify Himself. His glory. Absolutely. Top. I mean, you we even read Matt Chandler. Or no, John Piper talks about in his book, Desiring God. Yes. He kind of shifts the uh, catechism. The first... The chief end of man. The chief end of man is to... Uh, is to what? Glorify, glorify God, God and, and enjoy, enjoy him, him forever. forever. Well, John Piper changes it and says... Yeah. Chief end of man is to glorify God. Bye. Enjoying yes. him forever. So Absolutely. The, but the chief end of man is to glorify God. And the, yes. honestly, the chief end of God, not that there is an end of God, mm-hmm. is to glorify himself. That's, yes. his, that's his number one priority. Everything he does is to glorify himself. Right. So why, in his unconditional election, why in his choosing of people does that ultimately glorify himself? And why doesn't he predestine everyone? I mean, okay. if he wants everyone to be saved, as we read in, one, in Second Timothy, yeah. why doesn't he? I mean, it says it in Scripture. He wants yeah, everyone yeah, to yeah. be saved.
2: No, absolutely, yeah. And First Timothy two four says that God desires all people to be saved, and uh, even Second Corinthians. I mean, Second no, Peter, I think three nine yeah. says it's not God's will that any should perish, but all right. should come to repentance. It is God. God does have a genuine desire, a compassion for the wicked, and a desire to see them come to repentance. However, their response is not in of themselves; it's a product of God and His grace. And so the question is, how does God do this, and why He does it? Um, so if God does choose, if He does, which you know, Ephesians one says. That right. were that were chosen in Christ. He chose
1: um, us before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. Yes, absolutely. And and Romans
2: nine, probably the most foundational passage yeah. for Pro- the Calvinistic huge argument. Huge
1: and probably one of the most misinterpreted passages in Romans. At absolutely, least.
2: yeah. But yeah, Romans nine. Yeah, it says um, it says in verse fifteen, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this pr- very purpose, I raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardened whomever he wills. Mm. And so it's all dependent upon his will and his will ultimately being to glorify himself. Right. Um, Matt Chandler said in his sermon at Elevation Church, he, God is for God, uh, that was the
1: title of the sermon. Right. He said... Amazing sermon.
2: Absolutely. Well, if you're listening, go look it up. One of the I think that's sermons. the sermon
1: that made him famous.
2: Absolutely. Honestly. I think so, too. Yeah. It's I've a- watched it at least seven times. Yeah, it's a great sermon. It's Anyways, a great sermon. Continue. And he says in it that God is ultimately for himself. We like to... Put God in a box and say that He's all about us. That the purpose of everything that God does is for us. Right. When really it's not. The ultimate motivation behind God,
1: even God's love for us, is His own glory. Right. And even we read in Romans eight twenty eight what we just read earlier. Yeah. That everything will end for the good of those who believe in Him. Yeah. Right. Comma, according to God's purpose or according to God's will. That comma is very important. Yeah. So that section, everything will end, you know, for the good of those. Who believe in Him according to God's will. Absolutely. And what is His will? Absolutely. To be glorified. Absolutely. And God being perfect, being yeah.
2: a perfect being, uh, being a perfect God, He must glorify Himself in all of His attributes, His right. love and His justice, His wrath and His mercy.
1: Right.
2: And we have to understand that. Now, it's harsh to hear, but when we really come down to who God is and if we view Him, I mean, honestly, if we're in the presence of God like Isaiah, we will be terrified. Uh, the, the scariest thing about God is that he's good because yeah. we're not right. And so that what does the good God does a good judge do with us? Um, if he were fair by our terms and definitions, we'd all be in hell. And so we have to come to an understanding that unconditional election is in no way. Yes, it's unfair, but it's also just, it's completely just and gracious at the same time. So how do we reconcile this with all those passages, you know, like in first Timothy and first and second Peter that say that God's will is to bring people to that his desire is to bring all people to himself. Right. Um, I would say, and Matt Shannon talks about this, and so does John Piper, that in the Greek, there are two wills of God. That word, will, is translated different ways in the Greek. Right. Yeah, it, it is God's desired will that he brings people to himself. But his desired will never trumps his preordained sovereign will that will lead to him being most glorified. Just an example, we see in the fall of man, God gave them a direct order to not eat of the tree. He didn't want them to sin, yet he allowed them to and used it for his good purposes. And it was always in his plan. Even before the foundation of the world, Revelation says the lamb was slain. It was always in God's plan. And so we have to understand God is more glorified in rescuing, redeeming, and reconciling to himself a fallen world and restoring it than he is in simply having a perfect world that never needs to be rescued. So everything yeah. God does is for his glory. Everything that he causes or allows is for his glory. Even if he doesn't want it, he doesn't delight in the suffering of his children,
1: but he allows them to go through so they might be purified and edified and drawn yeah. closer to him. Right. And I mean, that is, that, that right there is sanctification. I mean, it is yeah. being pruned by the will of God to, yeah. so that you can be conformed to be more like Jesus. Absolutely. Which ultimately glorifies him. Absolutely. And so with this unconditional election and with... With this doctrine that people have, you know, biases against or or problems with, mm-hmm. where do we see God's love? Mm-hmm. How do we see God in His infinite love mm-hmm. working in unconditional election? Explain that, because because a lot of people, a lot of people that that are against Reformed theology. One of their biggest attacks is that we claim God's not loving because Mm. he has to choose people, or he's choosing people. I mean, that's a huge thing. So why, in his choosing, does it show that he is infinitely loving? I would say that
2: just the fact that God chooses individuals, totally depraved, completely sinful rebels— is an extension and a portrayal and a display of His of his beautiful grace, His beautiful, ultimate love. And that He chooses these depraved, sinful beings who are constantly shaking their fists at Him, spitting in His face, running in the opposite direction. He chooses to pursue them. He chooses to send His Son down, God in the flesh, to die for them, to die in their place, to substitute Himself for them. Mm-hmm. At the cross is where we see the love of God and the wrath of God most clearly displayed. Mm. Uh, The cross would never have been necessary without man's sin. God allowed man to sin, so ultimately the cross would become necessary. And I believe wholeheartedly that God is most glorified at the cross of Jesus Christ. It's at there that we see his love, his mercy, his justice, and his wrath most clearly displayed. Uh, It's the most horrible and yet most wonderful day in human history.
1: Yeah, and I heard such an amazing, I believe it was um, a Matt Chandler uh, sermon jam. And... It's entitled How He Loves. You can look I've it seen up that. on YouTube. Yeah. It's yeah. such a great, such a great uh, sermon jam. And it ends with, with Matt Chandler kind of going off. One of my favorite parts, he's like, Christ <laughs> knew you were going to be messy. He knew you were going to be dirty. He yeah. knew you were going to be sinful. He knew these things. Yeah. And if you say that you're too sinful, it's wrong because he knew they were going to be that, that Absolutely. way. Absolutely. That's what the cross is all about. Yeah, it's messy. Right. And so, so God's wrath was poured out for the elect on the cross. Absolutely. There's no wrath left for the elect. Yeah. That if an ounce of that wrath was poured out on any one of us, we would all be going to hell. Absolutely. But, or God would be a liar. Or yeah, or God would be a liar. But yeah. Because that wrath was poured out on Jesus for the elect on the cross, we can live a blameless and righteous life. Yeah. Solely because of that. And I think yeah. that is like the pinnacle of the gospel.
2: Yeah, he is passionately pursuing his bride, yeah. his sinful, messy bride, and he dies for her. He lays down his life for her. He lays down his life for his sheep, for his people, for his bride, and he buys with his own blood. In Jewish culture, you know that the the bridegroom paid a dowry yeah. for his bride, yeah. and the dowry is his blood. He paid with his very own life for his bride. What beautiful display of right. the gospel! Um, and we'll get into this a little bit in the next. Minute right. or two yeah. um, when it comes to limited atonement, but just the idea that, that he does not die simply for everyone in the same way, but he has a specific kind of death, a specific intention and purpose with his death to die for a select group of people, for his elect, for his bride, and he does it out of act of love and grace, all
1: to the praise right. of his name and his glory. Absolutely. And I'm going to go ahead and read the conditional election. Absolutely. Go um, ahead, please. portion of this, because I think it, it will give us the opportunity to compare and contrast. Yes. And maybe point out, maybe where conditional election goes wrong biblically. Yeah. And maybe and then, bring some scripture. Yeah, Right. And mm-hmm. then after that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the podcast. And we're going to, we're going to begin a part two. <laughs> and so Okay. Gonna, awesome. Because I just feel like this topic can't be contained into one 40 minute podcast. Yeah. You're right. Right. How and long so has it been? It's been about 40 minutes. Oh, so okay. <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to break it up into a part two. Okay. And we're just going to continue it. All right. And, awesome. And give people the extended version because I think this is such a big topic that, Absolutely. that it should be extended as long as we need to explain this biblically. Mm-hmm. So conditional election, this is a very Arminian thought. Yes. God's choice of certain individuals for salvation before the foundation of the world was based upon him foreseeing that they would respond to his call. He selected only those whom he knew he, who "...whom he knew would of themselves freely believe the gospel. Election, therefore, was determined by or conditional upon what man would do. The faith which God foresaw and upon which he based his choice was not given to the sinner by God. It was not created by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, but resulted solely from man's will. It was left entirely upon entirely up to man to determine who would believe and therefore God would be elected for salvation God chose those whom he knew would of their own free will choose Christ thus the sinner's choice of Christ not God's choice of the sinner is the ultimate cause of salvation Mm. and that's the definition of conditional election which it's a good definition of what that doctrine is however I do not think that scripture supports this mm. in any way. Yeah. Why? Give us some points. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about why does why does this just sound not biblical?
2: <laughs> yeah. I think it's important, you know, in the spirit of unity to mention that there are believers who believe this. And um, this in and of itself is not the gospel. And so you could be a believer and still believe this. In fact, I would say the majority of evangelicals probably hold to this view. Yeah. Probably, Absolutely, they probably hold it as good. And it
1: doesn't. It's it's more of a second tier issue, if you would. It's not a f- yeah. first tier gospel, you know, changing. Yeah, it's not. It's not thing. a close-handed
2: issue. It is important to discuss um, because I do think we find this in the Bible. We find unconditional election in the Bible, and that's why we need to defend it biblically right. in and a spirit and, of love and gentleness. Right, yeah. and I
1: think in the in the spirit of, of bringing unity to believers and not causing division, it we understand that conditional election is a very well thought out you know doctrine and they and people who adhere to that doctrine do seek the scriptures yes. and that could truly be their conviction and we're not here you know condemning or claiming that what yeah. they are teaching is in any way anti-bible we're just, How, just trying to however, bring light to the scriptures we're bring, yeah. we're showing our convictions and mm-hmm. what we truly believe scriptures portray absolutely and we just want to bring that to light
2: right yeah And so talking about the conditional election uh, viewpoint and perspective, I think it's important to note that the reason why we don't believe it's biblical, and I think the biggest problem with it is that it's somehow, it's to say that salvation is initiated by you. You are the cause of your own salvation. The credit is not to God. Ephesians 2, 8-9, some of the most foundational words in the entire Bible, the verses that we use to define the doctrine sola fide, only faith, it says that by grace you were saved, by grace through faith, um, and this is not of yourself, it's a gift from God so that no man can boast. What is our reason for boasting? If we were to say that we chose God, than it would be of ourselves. Right. I'm not to, not to say that faith is a work. Faith is a response. However, I do think it's a gift from God. Right. I think the scriptures present that very clearly. In Paul's listing of spiritual gifts in First Corinthians, faith is listed, and even in in that in Romans twelve, after those famous verses about being a living sacrifice, which you was talking about two weeks right. ago, it said in verse three that God assigns the measure of faith to each person. Right. It is a gift from Him that He initiates. He is the author. And perfecter of our faith, as Hebrews 12 says. Absolutely. He is the one who initiates our salvation in us. We do not... And we'll talk about this more with Irresistible Grace, but we do not, in of ourselves, because of our depravity, we do not seek God on our own. And so because of that, how would we say that we produce faith in of ourselves? We can't yeah, right. redeem right. our exactly.
1: sins. Exactly. And, and I think that's, that's a great point. And I think, I think you highlighted it very well. Just talking about how... And I think this makes a few assumptions too, which we've already talked about free will a little bit. Mm -hmm. And this is saying that we have that free will prior to being regenerated. Yeah. But I think scripture clearly shows that we are bound dead in our sins. Yes. There's no free will there. Yes. We can't get out of our shackles. There's nothing we can do to break free. And, and this is claiming here that we do have that free will to break free on our own Mm -hmm. and allow God to be a part of what we've done.
2: And if we continue with that argument, then we could argue that salvation is not eternal. Right. Eternal life is not eternal.
1: And it just steps into all of these kind of just squishy areas that I think diminishes the value yeah. of God. Absolutely. And and as believers we are we are called to live yeah. a life that is ultimately glorifying to him. Absolutely. And to diminish him is the opposite of glorifying
2: him. Yeah, and, and you read in those verses in Romans 8, you know, uh, the foreknowledge and the predestination and the justification, the glorification, these are all things that we have not yet experienced the reality of them. Like, for instance, glorification, we are not yet glorified. Right. However, in God's eternal mindset, we already are. Right. All of these are simultaneous events. When he foreknew us, he chose us. When he chose us before the foundation of the world, he predestined us uh, when he predestined us, he justified us. Mm-hmm. When he justified us, he glorified us. All of this is one and the same to God. Right. He's not, as some Arminians would say, looking down the corridors of time and reacting and his plan changing based on man's right. decision. Uh, just as we read in Romans 9, and just that definition alone, I'm not saying that it's anti-biblical, but it seems it seems to me to contradict what Romans 9 says, where it says, it does not depend on human will or exertion, but on God right. who has
1: mercy. Right, and, and I think... And then... You know, when, if, it, if we do say that it, that it depends on our will, mm-hmm. then it doesn't depend on attributes of God, like yeah. mercy, grace, love. Yeah. And then, like, we are stepping out of the bounds, almost saying that God mm-hmm. isn't God if he's not abounding in mercy. And if he's not abounding in grace, yeah. we're taking those attributes away. It's to contradict his sovereignty, right. which the Bible clearly teaches. And so, with all these things being said, I think we can biblically defend... Unconditional election, more so than conditional than, election. Than conditional election. Now, there are middle grounds, and there are other arguments, like corporate election. Corporate election like is a very prominent argument yes. that I really enjoy. I believe it's biblical, and I take
2: it a step further, but right. I still think in of itself so if it's
1: so. If you guys are interested in, in hearing about corporate election, you can do a quick Google search. GotQuestions.org has an amazing answer to it just what corporate election is. Yes, they do. So seriously guys, go check that out. I'll leave the link in the uh, in the notes for today's podcast. And as yeah. we're kind of wrapping up this session, we'll have one more session after this. As we're wrapping up this session, I just want to thank you for the knowledge that you've been able to bring into this discussion. Oh, thank you uh, so much for you. Very me. knowledgeable and it's such an honor to have you here. I'm very um, humbled. I'm very humbled. It's it's I'm just amazed And it's by such a
2: beautiful topic. It just
1: it it just shows God in a light that I think we all too often forget to yeah. look at him
2: in. And the purpose of this tedious search through the doctrines of grace is that we would come to a greater understanding of the character of God right. and a greater appreciation for the sovereignty of God and I think a greater passion for the glory of God. Right. I, think, I really do believe I'm not saying that Calvinists are greater Christians. In no way am I saying that. Not at all. However, I do think, though, that if you truly believe the doctrines of grace... And if you truly believe that God is out for His glory above anything else, that your life—I I, believe—and I've seen it in myself and other people—that your life will be more Christocentric. You will be more about Jesus and less about yourself mm-hmm. and your own efforts. Right. It'll be more about Him and His will and His plan and His glory being revealed. And, and for those listening, I do want to say this, and we'll get into evangelism a little bit next. Yeah. Next in the podcast. Next session, yeah. I will say though, if you're if you're listening and maybe you are confused about this. Um, Praise the Lord. We don't know everything. We don't. We serve an infinite God with an infinite word. And so there's always more of him to be had. And we'll encourage you next time again to read the scripture for yourself. But I do think it's important to note that if maybe if you're confused or maybe if this idea, this concept of the elect disturbs you, I don't want you to be alarmed. Whether it's biblical or not, if you trust in Christ, if you have turned from your sins and yourself and looked to Jesus and trusted in him alone as Savior and Lord and as your supreme treasure, then you are one of the elect you are one of the elect I I don't want you to sit around pondering because that's the temptation a lot of people sit around pondering am I elect am I chosen and how do you know well the question is if you trust in Jesus you are
1: yeah he gave you that faith yeah absolutely so we're gonna we're gonna dive into a lot more uh, about this topic sorry about the rant sorry (laughs) um I can't wait. Hopefully you guys will tune in. Thank you so much for listening today, guys. Um, Again, check us out on iTunes. Make sure you subscribe to us there. There are so many outlets. Again, don't use our podcast as God's Word. Use Mm. God's Word as God's Word and then allow us uh, through the Spirit to kind of help you along that journey in any way that God ordains for you. So, So please don't take our Word as God's Word. Seek the Scriptures for yourself. And, and we pray and we know that the Spirit will convict you accordingly. Absolutely. Thank you guys for tuning in. I just want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, I hope you guys will tune in for session two, where we will be talking about the last three letters in the acronym TULIP. All right. Uh, and I am so excited to be able to dive into some of that stuff. Thank you guys for listening. Take care. God bless.
0: And that's the show. Thanks for listening. The BGN podcast comes out every week. Questions? Email us at gracenationministries at yahoo.com or tweet us at Grace Nation min. Until next time, take care and God bless.